Again, if you are able, I would encourage you to rise as we read God's Word together this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. We'll be reading uh, verses 5 to 19. Hear the reading of God's Word. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten leopards who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us that your word will stand forever. So we ask that you would uphold that promise here and now today. That you would hold your word firm in our lives and our hearts. That it would mold us and shape us. Holy Spirit, sanctify us through your word this morning. Guide my words, guide our ears, that we may glorify you. It's in Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Rejected cast out, or maybe some other words that we could throw out there, ignored, unwanted, frightening, uncomfortable, or maybe we could use some other words, teenage mothers, the elderly, substance abuse, substance, substance abusers, criminals, mentally ill, people who are just different than us, outcasts. However you want to define that word, these are some of the words that may actually define, the dictionary does define it as rejected and cast out by society. Or maybe we could ponder something else this morning. Where would Jesus, if he was on his earthly ministry here now in 2022, where would he go? To what group of people may he find himself interacting with? I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not going to propose that question, the answer to that question. But what we can do is look at Jesus' life and say, where did he go? Where did he turn when he was walking this earth on his earthly ministry? He went to the poor. He went to the blind. He went to the beggar. He went to the outcasts. So we can take some level of confidence in saying that's going to be his focus if he were here and today also. And this is where we find Jesus in the Scripture today. Interacting with the outcasts of society. Interacting with the poor, the sick, the ones who were literally left 
to die. He went to the Sumerian, and even more sensational, he went to a Samaritan leper. In that day and age, there was nothing more of an outcast for the people of Israel than a leper and a Samaritan leper at that. And yet here is Jesus talking to this man and using him as an example. This must have been a little bit of a mind warp for the disciples as they walked along because it just didn't make any sense. You're supposed to love us, Jesus, not these guys. And specifically, and more importantly, not that guy. But there's more to this story, and today we're going to be focusing more on the story of the healing of the ten lepers than we are on the first couple sections that I read about a mustard seed and unworthy servants. We're going to land the ten lepers, but we do need to see the whole story. We need to see the context of what Jesus is talking about. And there's a lesson in these three stories that's far greater than just an amazing miracle that Jesus healed ten lepers. There's something more profound, something more incredible, not only for the disciples, but I would say even for us as well. And so that's what I want to look at this morning with you, is what is this story? What is this message that Jesus has for us and not just ten lepers a couple thousand years ago. So let's dive in for a minute. And I just want to give us a little bit of what's happening here. But in order to do that, I just want to share a few things I found on a, on a Twitter feed this week. And whatever you think about Twitter, it's, they're in the news a lot, but whatever. There's some fun stories that we can find on Twitter. Not everything's great, but let's just go here. My toddler was about to hit her head on a bar at the playground. I said, duck! She turned to me and quacked. She hit her head on the bar. At age eight, I ordered my meal at a restaurant, and the waiter asked me if I would like super salad. I said, yes, super salad sounds great. And the waiter said, no, 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 no. Soup or salad, not super salad. When I was a kid, my mom asked me to watch the potatoes while she had something else to do. I watched them. They burned. I watched them burn. We laugh at these stories, right? Because we know the simplicity and we all make the same mistakes. But we also know just how easy it is to get those things confused. Of course, watching potatoes means make sure they don't burn, right? That's what it means to watch the potatoes. Don't let them burn. But the young boy did what his mom told him to do. Watch the potatoes. Gotcha, mom. Watch them burn. Same thing with at a restaurant. We understand that there's a super salad that's offered to us, but how many of us really would like a super salad? We'd like both and a super salad. So all three, right? This this is how the English language often works and how things can go so easily get twisted and turned around. This morning, I want to investigate further what's actually happening here with the disciples. And it seems to me that it's a little bit like super salad or watch the potatoes. They understand the words Jesus is saying to them, but they just kind of got it mixed up. And I want to say it's not just the disciples who often get it mixed up, but so do I. And I think perhaps so do we. So in order to understand what's happening in verses 11 and 19, we need to understand what's happening in the verses that precede that. You see, the disciples have been following Jesus for a long time up until this time as we find ourselves in Luke chapter 17. They've seen Jesus do some pretty awesome stuff. 
some pretty amazing stuff. Perform miracles, heal all sorts of people. They've been a witness to these things. And they're walking with Jesus, returning back to Jerusalem. They're kind of in the wilderness somewhere, and they're just walking and talking as as they would often do with Jesus. And they say to him, Jesus, increase our faith. We've seen all these things, and they're really cool and awesome stuff. And really what they're saying is, we want more of that. Give us more of that. Increase my faith so maybe I could do some of that cool stuff too. And Jesus says to them, if you had a faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to that tree, go from there to there, and it would be planted in the sea, and it would be rooted there, and it would obey you. And we often misunderstand this parable. So let's see some more about what's happening here to be able to understand. So So listen to what the disciples are saying. Increase our faith. We want faith. We want more faith. We want better faith. We want increased faith. Give us more because we want to do some cool stuff. We want to see some more cool stuff. Then the story continues on, and Jesus tells them another story. Tells them a story of some servants and a landowner. And it's the same thing with with us, isn't it? If the boss says to you, hires you for for a job to do, he's going to say, I'm giving you this task. I expect you to perform it. I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars to do this task. You do your tasks, and it's not the, the, the boss or the landowner's responsibility then to, to pat you on the back and say, good job, well done. That's not the idea, nor is it the, the, the boss's responsibility to say, come over to my house. I'm going to cook you dinner. I'm going to f- give you drink and food and pay for all these things just because you did what I asked you to do. We wouldn't expect that from a boss. And Jesus is using an even more extreme example of a servant, meaning who they may get some food because of the task that they were given to do. But what landowner would say to a servant, come into my table, come into my house, eat my food, drink my wine? It's not what happens. So what's Jesus saying here? But this is what we expect of God. This is what we assume God does. We have a tendency to get things flipped around, don't we? It's super salad. I want a super salad. We often tend to think that God is our servant. God, you're supposed to do these things because you've done it in the past. Now I expect you and assume that you're going to do it in the future. Maybe we don't demand things of God. Maybe worse, we just expect or assume that he will continue to be gracious to us. We assume things of God. We lose sight of his mercy and of his steadfast love and faithfulness to unworthy servants like me and us. So then Jesus has just spoken all these things to the disciples. And I'm certain their hearts must have been pricked on some level. But like any good teacher, like any good preacher, will say, here's the lesson, right? Here's the story. I'm going to give you the information, I'm going to tell you what it is, and then I'm going to illustrate it for you. I remember when I was in high school, and I was not, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a humanities guy, I'm a philosophies guy, I'm not math, I'm not science. Anybody who knows me at all would pretty much say that to you. So I did not do very well in my high school chemistry class. I passed, and we'll just leave it there. But I remember one specific experiment the, the, the teacher was saying to us, He poured out a bunch of liquid into different vials, into different jars, 
And he says, do you think these things are all going to mix together? And if I put them all together, they're all going to blend in together into some ugly colored muck. And we're like, yeah, because that's what liquids do, right? He says, no. And the lesson was on viscosity and the weight of liquid, believe it or not. And so we said, here's how I know that there's different liquids. And I don't know what the liquids are. Don't test me. I have no clue. All I know is that he poured one liquid about, this, about that deep and then another and then another and another and another. Maybe your chemistry teacher did the same thing to you. But he was telling us about how actually liquids have different weights and different viscosities. And they actually, some of them, if you pour them in the correct order, will not blend in with one another, but they're actually layers. Some of you in here probably can name all those things, but I can't. But the, the point is, a good teacher is going to show you, here's the viscosity, here's the weight of a liquid, Here's visually what this looks like. So Jesus has just got done telling them we need to have our priorities in line. We need to understand who we are, who God is. We need to understand more about faith. And then Luke tells us this other story about ten lepers. As they were coming into a village, we go back into Luke 17 and we find Jesus and his disciples going back to Jerusalem and they come to this town. It's here in the story of the healing of the ten lepers that we're able to truly answer the question once again that we've been asking for the last couple weeks. What does it mean to live a thankful life? What does it mean to live a life of gratitude? Jesus and his disciples at this time were indeed on their way. They were walking back to Jerusalem. On the road, the outcasts of the society called to Jesus. They were outside the city. They weren't in the city because they weren't allowed in the city. They literally were outcast by society, outside the walls. No protection, no one to feed them. Maybe some family members were gracious enough every now and then, but they were outside. And as they were approaching the village, these ten people came up to Jesus in loud voices saying, Jesus, Master, heal heal us. Have mercy on us. For they were desperate. And I'm sure they'd heard stories about Jesus, that he was healing all kinds of people. And maybe, just maybe, That if he heard them and saw them, he might just heal them too. And what does Jesus say? He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Okay, what's the significance about that? Jesus is basically saying, you're healed. Go back into the city where you're not supposed to be. Don't go back in there. You're not supposed to be there. But Jesus says, go back because you are healed. And then go to the priests. Why the priests? Well, the priests were the health inspectors of the day. They had the authority to tell these people, hey, you are welcome back in the city. You're welcome to be back in society. You can be normal again. You can be restored to a community and a citizen of this city. And so that's what they did. They went on their way. Healed. They went back into the city. They went back into the city, except for one. Except for one. Realizing that he'd been healed. He turned. He turned from the way he was going. And he turned towards Jesus. And in a loud voice, he praised God. He fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, and he gave him thanks. And then Luke tells us that this man was a Samaritan. That's not right. That's not what's supposed to happen. The most unworthy of persons was the one whom Jesus uses to 
to illustrate the lesson. The most unworthy of servants is the one Jesus uses to illustrate these things he's talking about, faith and praise and thankfulness. A Samaritan leper was the only one to turn around and praise and give thanks to Jesus. The others, they took for granted what had happened to them. They took for granted the mercy that Jesus has bestowed upon them. And even Jesus himself wonders, weren't there ten? There's only one. Where are the others, he says. There were ten, right? Only the one who in the eyes of everyone was the most unworthy to receive mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one to give thanks and praise. And then notice something that remarkable that happens. Our discourse started with the disciples asking the Lord, give us faith. We want more faith. We want that kind of faith that uproots trees from over there, puts it in the ocean, and plants it under the sea. We want that kind of faith. And then Jesus does this. And what does he say to the Samaritan? Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. It means that our faith's not provided to us in order that we could do cool tricks. That somehow we would be bolstered, or somehow that we would be strengthened in that sense to be able to have our glory praised. But rather our faith is given to us that we would turn. That we would turn back. And then we would give Jesus thanks and praise. That we would fall at his feet, knowing that he's the only one that can heal us. The only one that can do that. What was the Samaritan thanking Jesus for? Certainly that he was healed from his disease, right? But more importantly, he was thanking Jesus for the mercy that Jesus had upon him and recognized that only Jesus, the master that they cried out, could truly do this. He then has faith and is the worthy servant because of his faith. He recognized that the master is the Lord of his life. And Jesus had mercy upon him when he, of all people, did not deserve this healing. I just want to say to us here this morning, this is where we then find ourselves. This is where I find myself. We ask the Lord for all kinds of things, don't we? And rightfully so. For the Lord is indeed quick to bless us with many things. And he does it in abundance, and he does it with generosity. He blesses his children. And then the Lord often blesses us. But how many of us keep walking? How often do I keep walking? Thankful that I don't have that disease anymore. Thankful that I'm not in that situation anymore. And I now have a brighter road ahead of me that I don't have to worry about that, but now I'm free to do this and I continue on my way. This is what I do. I think this is what we often do. But can I say something that may be difficult, but at the same time very true? We are not lepers. I know nobody in this congregation who has leprosy. But we are broken. We are not lepers. We're actually worse than these lepers. 
Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1, says to them, and he says to us, in our sin and misery, we don't have leprosy. Leprosy's actually taken our life. If we equate leprosy in some sense with sin and misery, we are dead in our sins. Not only are we not unworthy, but we're unable, we're incapable of crying out, Master, have mercy on me, because dead things don't do living things stuff. If I can steal one of my seminary professor's lines. We do not have the ability to cry out. We can't be like the lepers. Because we've already been left to die. And yet, in his mercy, through his life and his death and his resurrection, he's not only cured our disease, but he's breathed new life into us. He's resurrected us from the death of our sin and misery and given us new hope and new life. He's made us new creations, new creatures. He gave us his righteousness, his life, in order that we could live. And so that's the very definition of mercy, isn't it? That's the definition of grace and love. And yet my pattern all too often, keep on walking. Maybe we'll give a little heads up, nod. Thanks. Appreciate it. Now I can continue on my way. Jesus wants his disciples to see something. Jesus wants us to see something here this morning. Not only that he has the power over sin and leprosy, but he wants the disciples and us to witness his mercy, to witness his grace. He desires that we live lives of thankfulness because he asked the question, where are the other nine? I gave them grace and mercy. Where are they? He desires for us, he wants us to turn around, to come to him, and to praise him, and to give him thanks for what he has done. What's our chief end? What's our main purpose? What's our goal in life? To glorify God, what does that mean? To turn around, to give him praise for what he's done for us, and to enjoy the fact that that's what he's done. This is who he is, and this is what he's accomplished for me. How often do we praise him in loud voices? We've been asking in this series, what does it mean to live a thankful life? It's here in Luke 17 where an outcast Samaritan demonstrates this thankfulness. He is full of thanks, full of praise. As we've said now here for two weeks, the root of our thanksgiving and the root of our thankfulness is in Christ Jesus. Without that, if we're not in Christ and before the face of the Lord, we can't be thankful. So now, we don't see these phrases specifically in this text, but what we continue to see is the Lord's working in our lives first. I've touched on briefly already this morning, in order to set the stage of what this living a thankful life is and how we can understand it, or maybe what has happened in our own lives. It's obvious, isn't it, that the Samaritan man, the Samaritan leper, was full of thanks. There's no doubt about it. The argument can be made that he was merely thankful because his disease was healed and he no longer had leprosy. That 
an argument that could be made. He's so happy just because his leprosy was healed that now he could be returned back into society and he didn't have the disease anymore. That argument fails because that's a juxtaposition between himself and the other nine. The other nine were, we don't even know if they're thankful. They just were healed. But he was thankful for something else, something more, something different than just, hey, thanks for healing me. He was thankful for the Lord's mercy. The other nine just kept walking. The Samaritan turned, not of good manners, not just to say thanks, not out of being polite, but because he understood Jesus had mercy on him. The mercy then prompts a series of events for this man. In verse 15, the first response to the mercy that was lavished upon him was to do what? It was to praise. The thing that strikes me about this first event of what it looks like to be a thankful person, to live a life of gratitude, is that very thing, is to live a life of praise. And it strikes me that Luke captures the emotion of this scene. He doesn't just say that the man turned around and was giving praise to Jesus. What does he say? He says in a loud voice, So that's like a Presbyterian loud voice or some other kind of loud voice? Thanks be to God is what he says, right? You are my master. Thank you for your mercy. That's kind of what a loud voice sounds with a microphone. It wasn't just, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to go in my quiet time here now. I'm going to sequester myself to my office or my bedroom or my kitchen table and give you thanks for the mercy that you have for me. If someone has just healed you from leprosy, if someone has just breathed new life into you, do we just say, thank you? No, you say with a loud voice, thanks be to God. Praise be to the Lord of mercy and kindness and goodness. We praise Him with loud voices. When we recognize the wonderful power of the mercy of the Lord, and we're filled with that mercy, we're filled to praise. We don't have a choice It's only natural if we've been brought from death to life. Why? Because we just simply can't help it. We were overwhelmed with His grace and His mercy and love. So return to the Savior this morning. Return in praise. Samaritan returned to praise the Lord. He prayed, he praised with a loud voice. And when he approached the one who had mercy upon him, what did he do then? It fell on his face, is what Luke said. I, I, I would imagine that he, in, in a loud voice, the Samaritan wasn't coming, you know, just, uh, I, I'm imagining, this is just Ryan's imagination at play here, but the scene must have been, I'm healed of leprosy, I can't believe it. He turns around and starts running back to Jesus. Praise be to the Lord our God. And as he's running and he comes to, this, comes to Jesus, he skids like some kind of cartoon is the way it happens in my brain. And falls on his face. How often when confronted with mercy and grace do we find ourselves on our faces? I don't. Again, I like to keep walking. Because now I'm healed and I can continue on my way. 
I would like to say that I do this often, but unfortunately, 90% of us, or at least 90% of the lepers, don't turn around. Not only we don't turn around, we don't give praise. Not only we don't turn around, we don't fall on our faces. 90% of my time, I would think that's probably the case for me. I would like to think differently of myself, but I also have to be honest with myself. I think as we're honest with ourselves, then we can begin to understand, yes, this is what Jesus has done for me. What does it look like to turn around? This is not my first response to fall at the feet of Jesus. My first response is to stand up, to be better, to get better, to act better. More often than not, I'm thankful that I'm no longer in the mess I once was. Perhaps I may just do that, glance over my shoulder. But you see, I think there's something else going on here too. There's also an illustration of another important part about living a thankful life. I know we praise, but we fall on our faces in humility. And the only way that we can fall on our faces in humility is to repent. How would we define repentance? It's turning from one way and turning back towards Jesus. The Samaritan leper who had his diseases healed was on his way to some village and he turned. And in humility, he praised the Lord our God, fell on his face and praised him with a loud voice. You see, repentance is that very thing, turning away from the path that we're currently on and pivot towards Jesus. And not only pivot, but we fall on our faces in complete and utter humility. This Samaritan man was struck to the very core of who he was, moved to praise the Lord, moved to fall on his face at the feet of the Lord. To live a thankful life then is to live a humble life. A humble life at the feet of Jesus, nonetheless. Paul says again in Ephesians that this gift of grace and mercy and faith is a gift. It's just that. In order that we would not boast. Or in other words, that we would live lives defined by pride and arrogance. That I healed myself. Well, of course, the Samaritan man knew he didn't heal himself. This gift is given to us so that what? No one could boast. That our lives then would be at the feet of Jesus. It means to live a thankful life is at the feet of our Savior. This then strengthens our faith, doesn't it? When we recognize who we were, who we are in our sin, we recognize that Jesus has healed us and restored us to life, and has lavished us with grace and mercy, we praise Him. We fall at His feet in complete and utter humility. And so then we come full circle again with the disciples from verses 5 to 7. They want their faith increased. So do we. Increase our faith. Increase our faith. The answer to having our faith increased, or the answer, what does it mean to live a thankful life, is to return to our Savior. What does, Luke tells us, what does Luke tell us that the final thing that the man does? Simply, he gives thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. And Jesus said to him, your faith has healed you. 
Our faith is given in order that we would indeed return to Jesus. To return to praise. Return to humility. To return to thankfulness. What does it mean to live a life of gratitude? It means to live a life on our knees. It means to live a life on our faces at the feet of Jesus. And so this morning, may I encourage you, may I encourage myself to return to thankfulness, to live a life of gratitude. Because Jesus has healed us of our sin and death and restored us to life. He's had mercy. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for how you love us and care for us. Thank you that you have lavished mercy upon us and that you care for us the way that you do. So Lord, help us to turn to praise, to turn to humility, to turn to you. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.